calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Here's a quick question for you. How did you sleep last night? If your battle for a good night's sleep feels relentless, I have the answer. It's a podcast called Sleep Wave with meditations and hypnosis created to help you fall asleep. My relaxation techniques will help you feel calm and ready for sleep with soft music that will help you fall asleep in minutes. Most listeners never hear the end of an episode. So search Sleep Wave on your favorite podcast app and find out why over a million people have fallen asleep to my voice. I saw a poll yesterday, the morning consult poll, that polled your approval rating of how different industries are handling this. And it's like the CDC is up 67%. Trump was the same as the cruise line industry. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Like, like <laughs> airlines were at 31, and he and the cruise line industry were at two. That makes sense, because they both give me diarrhea. On <laughs> <laughs> diking out, you're diking out. Let's dike out together. Hi, and welcome to Diking Out, a podcast that's here to help you emerge from this quarantine cocoon as a glorious gay butterfly. I'm Carolyn Bergier. And I'm Melody Kamali. And today we are diking out with political strategist and commentator Jess McIntosh about electing women. But first, we're just going to chit chat a little bit. Big announcement. There's no show at Stonewall this April. I know some of you are like, where can I buy the tickets? Uh, You can't. Everything is still canceled. And I'm bummed about it. I'm bummed. I'm wondering, are we going to end up doing digital shows like a lot of comedy shows in New York are doing? Would the Susans even want that? Oh, why are you putting it out there, Melody? Oh, sorry. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Cut that, cut <laughs> No, 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 no. Wait, I mean, I, I guess let us know if you want that, but I've been resisting. So there are a lot of people doing comedy shows on Zoom, but I just think that... I just think it's psychotic uh, yeah. <laughs> to do stand-up on a Zoom show. Yeah, I mean, I guess may- maybe it's better than nothing, but I think we all have other things that we could be doing 
with our time and like the the Stonewall show, the beauty of it is being at Stonewall. It's having all those people in the room. It's, you know, I guess I could put on the leather vest at home, but, uh, you know, we would even be in different apartments co-hosting. And That's true. Yeah, co-hosting would be weird. I mean, it'd be great for other people to get exposure, like, who normally couldn't attend a Stonewall show, but I would rather, like, record our next live Stonewall show and just make that available to people or something like that, you know? Yeah. Then to do a Zoom version because... I don't know. It's it's hard. So you did a you did a Zoom open mic over the weekend, and our guest from our last episode, Cameron Esposito, dropped in. Yeah, on the um, mic. We talked about this um, legendary open mic when Cameron was on. She started it. It was a. It's still going. It's at a bar called Cole's Bar in Logan Square in Chicago. The current host decided to do a Zoom version of it. Um, so everyone got time to do their jokes, but no one did actual stand up. Cameron included. We're all just kind of cracking jokes about our current situations and how we're all just dirty and lonely. <laughs> yeah, it's not really stand up comedy. I think we're all just comics desperate to see people and yeah, make people laugh. I don't know. It was silly. It was fun, but. It's not stand-up comedy. That's yeah, for sure. it's not the same. I'd rather focus on other stuff right now. And then also, I'm like, I don't know. Like, part of it, too, is, like, the the feedback from the audience and interacting with the audience. And if you don't have that, like, right, right now in New York, if you want validation, you just have to be, like, a nurse. That's the only way to get clapping, right? <laughs> this is <laughs> what we did on the Zoom um open mic at the Coles open mic. There were like at one point over 200 people watching because it is a very popular mic that people kind of in the neighborhood treat as a show. People come out to watch. So everyone's mic was muted. You could all yeah. see the video or if audience members chose not to have their video, that was fine. But most people did. And you would give jazz hands as applause and thumbs up. And that was supposed to replace your laughter. <laughs> So that's how we're getting our validation these days as comics. Just shake your hands at us, please. Well, what they need to do is that, you know, like Snapchat and Instagram and all that, they have the the technology for detecting motion on your face, right? Like you open your mouth and the tongue comes out. Yeah. And those filters. So if they had one where you could just open your mouth and then it would translate to like a laugh track sound or something like that. That would be good. Yeah. You need you need it to pace out your set and yeah. your timing with your jokes. It's very weird to do stand up to silence. Um yeah. Believe it or not. <laughs> but one thing I will say uh that happened during the Zoom open mic is that we did get Zoom bombed. Is that what they're calling it? I've read some articles about it and yeah. at one point someone hacked in and it was just a micro penis showed up on the screen and luckily we had a bouncer there who was making sure that wouldn't happen and quickly got rid of them, but there was at least um six traumatized lesbians <laughs> right. there. Um and it happened again. It was the same person who pulled up the same Google image. Like we were watching this person mirror their screen, Google search and pull up 
like an ejaculating micropenis. It was so disgusting. So luckily we had our bouncer there. It was funny because we had the Coles bartenders there like we normally do. We had the Coles bar owner there and bouncer. So it felt like you were in the bar. Like even at the end, we had the bartenders being like, all right, last call, everybody. We got to (laughs) go. And it's cool. We also had everyone's Venmo information there. So you could tip the comics. But what the lesbians who were traumatized did was charge the hosts a dollar because we had to be exposed to that micro penis. (laughs) It's things like that that make me think isolation is a gift right now. I don't know. I think I think we just need to let TikTok shine in this moment and uh, stand-up comedians just kind of w- wait it out. Yeah. I don't know. Being in, in New York, I mean, I've been <laughs> in my apartment, haven't walked out the door in 21 days now because I've been sick with coronavirus and still not feeling a hundred percent, but also it's like after the symptoms go away, I'm supposed to quarantine for 14 days on top of that. So I'm just never leaving. Yeah. And (laughs) like living in New York like this, it's like all of the high cost of living and small spaces, but none of the things you move to New York for. Exactly. That's why we need a rent freeze or something. Yeah, that's the only way I've been able to justify my exorbitant rent price. Yeah. But yeah, I can't do any of the things. I know. It's so. like what what what's the what's the point of paying high rent here if we can't, you know, make income the way that we normally do if we can't go to to live shows and network with people and meet with people and do all the stuff that you move to New York and swallow that expense and, you know, realize that you're not going to have a retirement fund or whatever. <laughs> like all, yeah. all the things we give up and in normal life, like, I don't know. I found myself on Trulia all this morning, just looking up housing prices in Chicago. I'm like, maybe I'm yes. <laughs> No, we should. <laughs> right? I've always said that I would probably settle down in Chicago. Yeah. I mean, especially that Scilly and I are trying to start a family right now. And it just seems in, in New York that we'll never, you know, the finding good school, good public schools and where to live and have enough space and all of that. It seems like a nightmare. And to be able to do that, you have to pay either super high rents or you have to live far outside the city. And then if you live far outside the city, it's like, well, what's, what's the point? You know, I'd rather like move to Chicago where they have like decent schools in areas that are close to public transportation. Cecilia, you know, she's also been in the apartment all day and she is breaking so many things. Oh, yeah. I saw you posted a chart of things she's broken. I, after last <laughs> How, night. What's going on? I was like, I feel like the only way to get you to stop breaking things is to, like, tie you to a chair. I don't know. Like, she she broke um, a glass that was part of, like, a set that we got in Scotland when we went. 
she went to bring me dinner in bed and then she had like her plate and it was on a tray and she picks it up and then somehow it just like flips completely over and the <laughs> dinner goes like right onto the the duvet. It's like spilling stuff everywhere. Last night I was in the kitchen. I wasn't feeling well. And she was like, I'll carry you to the bedroom. And she picked me up and I'm like, please put me down <laughs> before there's an accident. And she's like, no, I got it. And then rams me into this heavy ass metal mirror that we have in our hallway. <laughs> and it starts falling, like ruins the wall. I'm like, how did this, this is all in like a span of 24 oh, hours. Man. So I'm just bracing myself. Like every time she walks by the TV or something, I'm like, don't make any sudden moves. Is it because our motor skills are not in practice right now? <laughs> like, cause we're just so sedentary that when we do try to move around or grip on things that aren't TV remotes, we just can't <laughs> function. Possibly. I mean, she has told me multiple times before that her uncle gave her the nickname Axe Hands when she was a kid. Uh <laughs> Because she also broke a lot of stuff as a kid. I'm like, yeah, so did I. But I grew out of it. She's broken a lot of things over the years <laughs> in the apartment. And like the the walls are the biggest victim. Her defense is always, it's called living. <laughs> like, <laughs> you can't. I mean, I think it's possible to live without destroying the walls in an apartment. <laughs> That's her say, lovey. Yeah. You know what? Speaking of breaking things, I'm ready to break the internet and make a diking out TikTok. Yeah? Do <laughs> yeah. it. I've Please. gotten very into TikTok. And by that, I mean scrolling TikTok. I did I did post one video of me doing one of the youth um, dance challenges, but <gasps> I want to make Melody. a diking out. I know. I know. I turn it out. And I did have to Google turn it out. Do you know what turning it out is? It's a, it's a part of all the dance sequences. Okay. Like a sexy booty move. Uh. Um, <laughs> but I'm seeing very niche lesbian content on there that goes so viral. I know the lesbians are hungry for content in general, but I think the need is still there on TikTok, and I think it's our duty to fill that need. I well, just need a project. Yeah. I Go for it. Set up the Diking Out TikTok. And, yes. Uh, I'll try to make some contributions. I know um, Allison Pontier, who's a past guest of the podcast from our Baby Gay episode, is just killing it on TikTok. I go on to look at her content specifically, her and Rosie O'Donnell, which are probably the most different TikToks <laughs> uh, that you can imagine. The but, lesbian spectrum. Of yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but Allison is still crushing it on TikTok. She has like nice. half, a mi half a million followers, I think, now Whoa. on TikTok. Yeah. Just ticking and talking and all like mostly pretty niche lesbian content. So niche, it seems like the more niche, the more viral on there. Um, I really hated on it for the longest time, but I'm in a quarantine. And then I logged on and was going to make a video about how I was reluctant until quarantine. And I saw there was a trend of like millennials be like videos. Um just, oh. like making fa fun of the fact that millennials are finally getting over themselves and getting on TikTok. Um, <laughs> so that angle's taken, but I don't know. It's really fun. Um, it's hard. 
to use. I literally went to film school and worked as a video editor professionally, and I can't figure out how to make videos on it quite yet, but I'll get there. Okay, that's... (laughs) It's, like, so simplified it's hard or something. I don't know. That's how I feel about iMovie. Uh, Yes, this will be this will be our homework, Susan's, to get on TikTok. I I think we have to get on TikTok because I think this year Pride is going to be on TikTok. We're just going to have to, you know, order our rainbow Smirnoff bottles and parade around our apartments, and and that's Pride. Yeah, sorry, not to shit on Pride, but <laughs> <laughs> the Dyke March is way cooler. Yeah, you know, I I will organize a social distance dyke march whatever i refuse to let the dyke march be a victim of covid-19 yeah i would say over my dead body but that's a little sensitive right now yeah Lots no of, oof. <laughs> yeah yeah i feel like a bunch of people on the zoom open mic were making covid jokes but i feel like we were just doing that within the safety of the zoom and to actually like put them out there seems insensitive right now so I don't know what we're supposed to be joking about, but yeah, I mean, I think there's some harmless COVID jokes, but it is it is a serious thing, and like part of comedy is joking about tragedy, and the way to make things less scary is by laughing at them. But of course, when people attempt that, there's always uh, a terrible way of doing it. Speaking of Ellen, Ellen is in the the doghouse again. Uh, people got really bent out of shape when she made a. A joke that being uh, quarantined was like being in prison because she wears the same thing every day and everybody there is gay. Clearly, she realizes that her circumstances aren't like prison. It was just a silly joke. And people were like, people don't get jokes. People were like, you out of touch billionaire bitch I just think everyone's sensitive and it was the day that Bernie Sanders announced that he dropped out so I think people were extra ready to start a class war (laughs) yeah yeah I mean I you know I'm not a fan of people hoarding money either but to be like um Ellen don't you at least you still have voting rights it's like she knows she knows She's just yeah. trying to do her comedian thing, which is her her profession. I mean, it's a pretty solid and joke. And make a joke. It was a solid joke. I don't and know. And everyone is gay. I love that. All right. Now it's time to dike out about electing women with Jess McIntosh. Jess is the co-host of Signal Boost on Sirius XM Progress, a CNN contributor, and a Shondaland columnist with over a decade of campaign experience. Marie Claire Magazine also named her as one of the 50 most influential women. Jess, we're so excited to have you with us today. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm excited to be remotely present with you. I know. I'm glad we could make this happen. Uh, I told you that I I was sick with what I am like 99% sure was coronavirus. Uh, I'm a calling mild it. case of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my sense of smell is finally starting to come back. But... I don't know how I could manage that. Like if you can't smell or taste, it's like one. I read this very personal essay about a woman who lost her sense of smell and it has stuck with me for years because it seems so horrible. <laughs> Let me tell you, that was one of the weirder things about this. One, it it took me like a full day to realize, to even notice that I lost my sense of smell. Yeah. 
And it wasn't until my wife said something about me having body odor and I sniffed my (laughs) armpit and I'm like, you're insane. I smell like nothing. And then I like made some coffee. I'm like, wait, something feels (laughs) off here. Like I can't smell my coffee. And then I realized I, I had lost my sense of smell. But then like emotionally, like when I would... Um, like hug and kiss or cuddle with my wife. I I couldn't smell her. That's and that what this essay was about. Very the comforting. inability to like smell the like the familiar things and like walking into your mom's house and it doesn't smell like anything or like it, yeah. it really. I read it like a decade ago and it's one of those yeah. things that's like lodged in there. <laughs> it, it messes with your your head. Now, luckily, I didn't lose my sense of taste. Oh, but phew. I was reading this weird article online that was like how to tell if you've lost your sense of smell I'm like do we need an article about this smell something does it smell like a thing that wasn't what they were suggesting they're like (laughs) do the jelly bean test I'm like who has jelly beans in their house what is the jelly bean test so you're supposed to put a jelly bean in your mouth while plugging your nose and then experience the taste of it, I guess. And then unplug your nose. And then a bunch of different flavors are supposed to come when you unplug your nose. And then you can tell what flavor jelly bean it is. Okay. All right. I'm like, or or just smell lotion or coffee. Like, <laughs> yeah. Things. Or just inhale, yeah. <laughs> yeah, why don't you just inhale? Uh, Look, we're all bored. It was like- uh, everybody's trying to make things more complicated than they need to be. I think so. I think everybody's just, yeah, uh, trying to find whatever angle they can on this mm-hmm. Corona uh, content. So how, how are you holding up in all of this? Yes. Let's introduce a new segment of the podcast during the Corona times. <laughs> it's called, How Are You Doing? Yes. Okay. <laughs> how Are You Doing has been a loaded question since 2016. <laughs> and I feel like now right. it has a right. whole other layer. I, I'm good. I'm good. I'm I'm uh, quarantined with uh, my partner and our puppy, who is uh, six months and 60 pounds. Oh my and, gosh. Yeah. And um he's he's putting on a I don't wanna I don't wanna body shame the puppy. I love the puppy and I will love him whatever size he is, but um he can't play as much as normal. We can't go to the dog park and he oh, is Oh yeah, yeah. He's putting on some weights. So. Yeah. Your dog and I have that in common. Yeah, I mean I feel him. Like I get it. But uh but yeah, so it's the, it's the three of us in here and and I really do have to count the puppy as a third uh entity that requires attention given given the sure. size <laughs> enthusiasm level of the thing. Oh man, when this is over, he's going to be so sad that you guys aren't around all the time. I think he's over it. I think he was really oh, excited yeah. for like the first couple of weeks and now he's like so so we're, you want to do something or like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> You're going to go He's anywhere? Like, oh, you guys being around isn't that much more fun anyway. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we're, I mean, we're hanging in. It's, uh, it's, I, I'm a, now I'm a, ever since the Hillary Clinton campaign, I've been a consultant and I've done the radio show and then I do CNN. So aside from not having been into CNN since, I think it was the, the election after Super Tuesday was the last time I actually went into CNN headquarters. Aside from that, you know, everything else is still going. My, my clients need more than ever, because every piece of the progressive infrastructure is being massively impacted by this. Um, sure. In, both, in, both in negative ways and in, in opportunity ways. Like, th- this whole thing is just exposing all of the cracks in our economic priorities, all of the ways that we 
leave our marginalized communities, all of the ways that we venerate certain segments of the population while ignoring the other segments of the population. I mean, we radically defined what essential means in the last few weeks. And right. uh, yeah. that, that, that should have real implications for people who are pushing for a lot of progressive policies. So it's, it's, it's a weird time because it's a time of like complete stasis, but there's also a lot that needs to be done. Yeah. And when you say your clients are these like female politicians? Yeah, no, I yes, I work with I work with women who are running for elected office at all levels. Uh, I work with NARAL Pro Choice America a lot right now. Um yes. Repro Rights is uh they are actually they Republicans are actually using this moment to pass six really really awful draconian abortion bans in six states uh. across the country. They're trying really hard to put abortion care as elective surgeries. Because they don't want to, uh, quote-unquote, tax the hospital system with elective surgeries. Now, of course, an abortion does not require a hospital visit unless you are so advanced and something has gone wrong that that it is very much not an elective surgery. So just to put that one (laughs) right right over, the idea that you're going to ask women to deal with an unplanned slash unwanted pregnancy in this moment forcing them to require hospital care and prenatal care and all of the other healthcare system interactions that a healthy exactly. pregnancy entails. So so it's like things like that are happening. So as much as I want to just yeah. be like, I'm going to learn how to bake bread, um, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot to do. <laughs> and I think all of the candidates are trying to figure out, like, how do you campaign in this? Right. You know, campaigns are voter-to-voter contact, like, like face-to-face. It was, you know, Elizabeth Warren's selfie lines, like... And now now there's just none of that and no opportunity for it. Right, right. Well, speaking of Elizabeth Warren, you just interviewed her yesterday or two days ago? Yeah, just yesterday. It was... um, Okay, first off, jealous. Uh, (laughs) Second, (laughs) uh, you know, she, since pulling out of the campaign, she, she hasn't stopped, you know, working hard. Like she didn't, she took like, I think one day to spend time with her dog and, and, uh, be sad about it. And then has gotten right back in there and is still making plans and fighting and, uh, and pushing for, for everybody. And I just wanted to, you know, since we're talking about like electing women and right now with the primaries, uh, this has been just such a crazy, primary to look at everybody who is in play and you know more women than ever before and now we're left with two old white men yep um and like what the fuck yeah yeah (laughs) yeah can you answer that what the fuck yeah (laughs) yeah i mean the short answer is you know the patriarchy um the the long answer is I, i think every time we run a woman we are going to expose more of the challenges that they face when they're going for executive office. This one was particularly difficult because, like, Hillary Clinton was a super qualified candidate who, you know, had had checked all of the boxes. She wasn't too feminine. She wasn't too emotional. She wasn't any of the things that women throughout her entire life had been told they had to get rid of if they ever wanted to be seen as leaders. She had done those things, right? She had right. she had cauterized those veins. <laughs> so, 
So then, of course, when she does it, it's, you know, now she's too robotic. Now she's not authentic. Now we don't trust her. Now it's all of this. And we all watched, especially right. people who, like, hang out in queer spaces or hang out in femme spaces. We all watched that happen. And we're like, oh, yeah, that looks familiar. I know that. <laughs> and then people said, you know, if she were more like Elizabeth Warren or if she were, in fact, exactly Elizabeth Warren, uh, this wouldn't be a problem. I'm not a misogynist. Yeah. I just don't want to vote for this woman. If Elizabeth Warren were running, I'd be all about it. You guys know the script. Right. Right. So, and so now the, it's like, oh, once AOC runs, then... They're already turning you know. on AOC. Like, right. so, so Elizabeth Warren ran and it was the same goddamn thing. Like, it was, right. you know, I don't know, we just don't trust her. She's not authentic enough. She switches her... Like, Elizabeth Warren switches her positions? Like, who are you even talking about? Yeah, she, everybody kept saying once she backtracked on Medicare for all. I'm like, how... How did she backtrack? Like she put an she, on ramp in there that was less time than Bernie Sanders's, yeah. and right. and yeah. if you dared to say something like that, your mentions are going to get filled up with snakes. And I'd like to believe that most of that is bots and Russians and Republicans sure. who who are exploiting real divisions in the progressive movement because it wouldn't work if they weren't real, but they're yeah. amplifying it to an enormous extent. Um, I don't think that real people, like 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 thousands and thousands of real people, are you know wishing death on me for liking a woman running. <laughs> yeah, it it was hard because you know I consider myself like a lifelong feminist, and yeah. um, I want to see women in positions of power. I think that I was so traumatized by 2016 that I was scared to like Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. Like, I, I liked her, and I, but I was afraid to be, like, all in on her and was supporting... I mean, I was between her and Sanders for, for a lot, but I just had it in my mind that that she couldn't win. Right. And and that's like it's this self-fulfilling prophecy. It's exactly because, what it you know, is. Yeah. I mean a lot of women I know were like so many people I knew were like, oh yeah, we all like Elizabeth Warren is like, but she can't win, so I'm not gonna vote for her. I'm like, well, if everyone has that attitude, not then that attitude, yeah, we'll yeah. never get anybody elected. <laughs> that's exactly right. I, I think that yeah. this was the first time that we were introduced to electability as a stealth misogynist concept. Like, right. like, so we already, we know about likability, right? That one's out there. Everyone knows if you're talking about whether or not a woman is likable, you're talking about whether or not a woman should be in that office. Yeah. Authenticity is a little bit more exposed now. I mean, authentic is this completely a fear. Like Ted Cruz is authentic. He just authentically sucks. Like, like yeah. it, it's very weird to like what almost most politicians are authentic. And when you meet one that isn't like like a John Edwards or something, it's like obvious. <laughs> so we've learned that authentic is also one of those code words for want to have a beer with, which is code for I don't want a woman president. Right. Yeah. Now, uh, the electability one is even more insidious because <laughs> it doesn't right. immediately present. But the fact of the matter is nobody is electable except for white men until that happens. Barack Obama was not electable. You know, right. he, if, if electability is defined as the kind of person who has been elected before, then you can never make progress by saying yeah. that you can only elect someone everybody thinks is electable. And all you have to do is go to, like, very recent history to see all of the candidates who people thought were the safe electable bets, right? Jeb Bush, Mitt Romney, Hillary Clinton. Um, yeah. Um, you know, the ones that weren't, Bill Clinton, W, Obama, these these are the ones that— Trump. 
yeah, Trump was the ultimate unelectable candidate. So I'm yeah. not saying that we're always wrong, that like up is down. I'm just saying we're historically terrible at this. So the idea yes. that we would put so much weight on a metric that you can't prove and that we always get wrong. Well, yes. when you're doing something that wrongheaded, like there's probably some misogyny going on in there. <laughs> there's right. a reason why you need her to be unelectable. And we spent right. so much time talking about like all of Joe Biden's very, like he could gaff all over the place and we'd be like, all right, here's how he can come back. Here's what'll happen. Right. Like we let him say, okay, if I get first in the fourth contest, then I get to be the front runner. I can retool my campaign and I'm your safe electable choice. Like that's, that's nuts. Like, and, and yeah. all you have to do is think about it being applied to a woman to have, it's very obvious that it never would be. And, and there you go. So we learned a lot this cycle. Um, we'll use it next one, but we're never going to see a cycle where multiple women don't run again. Like that's over. Yeah. So we're just going to keep doing this. I hope it happens in my lifetime, but we're going to get closer every time. Yeah. I mean, with, with Biden saying that he would 100% pick a woman to run as vice president, I feel like that's the closest we, like, that's our best shot at having a woman be in the position it's like not if she's she wouldn't be elected into it it would be because joe biden you know something happens to him and then (laughs) uh, or it's easier to run as a vp like once like think about what it'll do right okay joe biden elects a woman vp and then he wins like think about the state of the union right if we if we keep the house like the picture will be Joe Biden at the front and then flanked on either side of him will be two women. Like yeah. we've never seen that before. The, yeah. the more we start seeing women in the spaces where it looks like they're, they're leaders, the, the more it will be normalized and we will stop being like, is this insane? Can a woman be elected? I, all we have to do is just keep winning. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. the crazy thing about electability is that since 2016, women are actually doing better than men at winning legislative seats, competitive ones. Like, for the first time ever, we're beating them. <laughs> we're running more, we're winning more, that's it. Women voters are, are a, a wave that we haven't seen ever in, in my lifetime. I mean, even, even suburban married white women are trending Democrat. That is not normal. Those are reliable Republican votes. So we know that women candidates are winning. We know that women voters are propelling those candidates to victory. And then we're sitting here talking about whether or not a woman is electable. It's like there's no, I can't give you anymore. Like there's no data points <laughs> to suggest they aren't. So I don't know why we keep saying this, <laughs> but it's frustrating as hell. <laughs> yeah, it's sad. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> no, it is. It's be... heartbreaking. It's like, like, it... like there's no reason why Elizabeth Warren or like a Kamala, there's no yeah. reason. So if you're looking at more like, moderate traditional Democrats, why Kamala Harris wouldn't have been the the chosen one instead of Biden, who always seemed to be, you know. Of course. The women in general, like, look at the whole field. This is what was so interesting about this race is that there were multiple women. So in 2016, we spent all this time being like, well, is it because she's a woman or is it because she's Hillary Clinton and nobody likes Hillary Clinton? Like, and you can't answer, you know, like, I know, I know what I think the answer to that is, but, you know, you can't prove it. When you've got that many women in the race... (laughs) And you watch what happens to each one. And they all ran better campaigns. Like, this is just mm-hmm. objective. Like, I, yeah. I, 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 you know, I've been doing this a very long time. I think most people in my position would actually agree with me unless they were being paid by one of the other campaigns. Like, <laughs> Kamala, Elizabeth Warren, 
Kirsten Gillibrand and Amy Klobuchar's campaigns were tighter, they were more gaff-free, there was more substance to their policies, and they crushed the debates. Like, absolutely crushed them. Compared to Bernie and Biden and Buttigieg, who, like, faced lots and lots of really bad cycles of their own making, and their debate performances were were good to meh to really disastrous, depending. I mean, Bloomberg, all of the airtime that he sucked up. Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, that's the patriarchy right there. It's like we put more time and energy into discussing a, a man who was never going to win than we did any of the women running. So you watched right. each one of them have to drop out. And it was, I, Gillibrand went first, which was especially kind of sad because she was running as an explicit feminist. Like she, she was running a feminist campaign. Yeah. And the truth was no one wanted to hear it. And that was oh. depressing. And then of course, and then, you know, it happens to Kamala before it happens to the white women. But like it, 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 you, we watched it happen in real time. We watched everybody sort of turn on them and then, or freeze them out. It wasn't always obvious, but there, there just wasn't, there wasn't the same recognition of their triumphs and the, their mistakes were viewed as intrinsic character flaws, not, you know, political compromises like, like the guys are. Do you think that Gillibrand suffered because of her going after uh, Al Franken. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I I worked for Franken, just to be, like, totally transparent. Yeah, Yeah, I was his press secretary in the first first campaign. I think that she suffered greatly for for leading that charge. I I heard it a lot in in donor circles. But I think, honestly, she she suffered for centering women all the time, which, like, that has sort of been her M.O. And I think that there are people who are really uncomfortable with that. You know, yeah. it's it's usually done in a less explicit way. But she would just come right out and say that she was doing it. So I, I think, you know, I th- I think there were a, I think there were a couple of a couple of, of issues there. But but certainly, certainly that hurt her. So I guess in in that vein, too, with electing women in this time of of Me Too, you know, Me Too has exposed so many yeah. men in in power and people think like, well, you know, the safe bet then is have a, have a woman and that kind of thing is a lot less likely yeah. to happen. But then you have cases like Katie Hill, who, right. uh, which I wouldn't say that was a, a Me Too thing, even though it was uh, yeah. with somebody on, on the staff. It was all it was all consensual. And that was a case of like revenge porn yes. and uh, like horrible misogyny and slut shaming and bisexual <laughs> shaming yep. and like all this sorts of stuff. So it's like, but, but it, it felt like it was almost like, Oh, see women are bad too. And it was like, Oh my God, how, right. How are we turning this on? <laughs> like, Yeah. That was one of the more depressing episodes in, in a, a few years of very, very depressing <laughs> episodes. <laughs> Right. Um, yeah. I, I mean, so women make up like twenty percent of Congress right now. By 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 all rights, we should have twenty percent of the sex scandals. We we don't. We have yeah. we have zero percent <laughs> of the sex scandals. I, yeah. I don't. You can't call Katie Hill a sex scandal. What it was was an abusive right. ex leaking intimate consensual images and information to a right wing website and taking her down. She says she didn't have the affair with the aide who was currently on staff. He hasn't said anything at all, to the best of my knowledge. 
So considering where this is coming from, like, I still believe her. Like, yeah. I, I think those, I think those, those, those rules are in place for a reason. It, obviously, there's an unacceptable power dynamic in the office. I don't think that given how, how bad a faith <laughs> those allegations came from, I, I just, I can't, I can't handle, I can't handle giving it that much credibility. I understand why she right. resigned. She once, she resigned for honestly the, the similar reason that, that Franken did. If you're right. there to do the right thing, right? If you're there to do good and you can no longer do that because you have lost the confidence of your colleagues, then if you were really there to do good in the first place, the right thing to do is to let someone else take that seat who can keep doing the work. Those were the kinds of conversations I had with Franken when he resigned. I can only imagine that that's sort of what Katie Hill was going through. Uh, when she And I'm glad that she's still out there. I'm glad that she's still talking. Like, she hasn't hidden at all. She's still a fabulous social media presence. I hope she runs again. Um, yeah. This was one of the, like, I, I'm, I'm bisexual, and I always assumed when I was growing up, like working in politics, I was like, well, I'll never run for office, right? Because I'm, I'm bi and I've smoked pot. Now, <laughs> ni- neither one of those things really matters anymore. And I still won't run for office for a lot of other reasons. But, but I always thought that like, I mean, biphobia is so real and it's in, it's in every, like we don't have a safe space unless you're with right. other bisexuals. And even then the judgments are are there about how to do it. And like, how how much do you have to perform it and can you claim it if this and do you have to yeah. right. so watching women who identified as bisexual win and it not be a big deal is has been really just like a fascinating wonderful thing it's not been a big deal for Kirsten Cinema Kate Brown who is the governor like getting Oregon through this right now she's one of the best most progressive governors we've got not a big deal right. for her so i don't think that Katie Hill proves that it can't happen yet but that's literally the thing that I was worried about. Like, I was literally worried about, like, sometimes we have some unconventional relationships. Sometimes we, you know, some, we, we don't live in black and white worlds a lot. And, yeah. and if, if that's your reality, that's something that's very, very easily misunderstood and very, very easily attacked. Yeah, it, it just feels like because we're not... Like men are getting the bare minimum of repercussions yeah. through the, the, through the Me Too movement, and then it seems now like the bar for scandal for women is lower because there's nothing comparable. It's oh, like of okay, but if we're gonna like come after the men, what about the women and them being sexually adventurous? Let's- I mean, so so here's the thing about like why not the women? It's the problem here isn't sex. Yeah. <laughs> The problem yeah. is power, and the problem is abuse right. of power. So you you actually can't just turn rape culture, let's put it that way, you can't turn rape culture around and uh, on women. Of course, there are individual instances where women can be abusive, where women can use sex in an abusive way, where, where women can be just generally assholes all around, totally sure, sure. stipulated. <laughs> like, but... The endemic power structure is just not there. Yeah, when you're talking about a structural problem, like there is, there, there's not an implication of of physical dominance. There's not an implication of financial power. There's no. We don't have the power to say like this is how I'm going to exploit you, unless you're talking about those individual circumstances. So. It doesn't work as a culture flip. It does work as yeah. like a, hey, don't be a jerk. Yeah. 
I think that's why we just don't see it in the same way. Because, it's, you know, if it was about sex, sure, we would behave just as badly. But it's not. It's about wanting to abuse your power. We don't have very much. We never have. We don't, yeah. we don't grow up, you know, thinking about how we can get more with it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, M- Melanie and I are both comedians. And a thing that you see a lot in, in comedy is that, like, a lot of men are in it for like the women like they yeah. they use comedy as a way to get women it's like these sloppy gross men that normally nobody would find appealing but then they can be a little bit funny on a, a stage and then they use that that power to yeah. to to rape and to sleep with women and uh, abuse women and it's just like a very toxic culture there's no woman who's like I'm getting into comedy because uh, <laughs> right. more people are going to want to date me or my sex life is going to improve it's right. like it's a nightmare it's right a I mean nightmare. look at look at that women politicians like yeah one of the reasons why you don't see the same actions behavior on the other side is because when a man is over 50 that is a powerful person who you know probably makes a lot of money is probably moving a lot of pieces like that's somebody who you know you he could be the boss of many people, whatever. When we see, like, we don't treat women who are old enough to be in positions of power as anything worth our time. Yeah. There's just no yeah, way. That, like timelines. There. Exactly, exactly. So, like, there's no recognition that this, like, older woman could do something for you to advance your career. Like, there, right. that's just, it's just an absurd hypothesis. Like, we we, we ignore them completely. Like, yeah. Which idea- is also why AOC is such a threat mm-hmm. right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, most of this stuff is, like, it's either, like, with the older women, like, it's, it's either, I don't want to sleep with you, why are you still talking? Or, I find you attractive and it makes me uncomfortable. Like, so much mm-hmm. of misogyny is one or the other, and she right. just, like taps into it right there. Like, I, yeah. I, like they don't understand why she's, like, young and pretty, but she keeps saying things that they don't want to hear. <laughs> and that's very frustrating for them. <laughs> yeah. I do have a desktop folder on my computer of just photos of her staring down <laughs> politicians during the Comey trial, all the, all the fun trials over the holidays. That's great. <laughs> I mean, just look at the way, the, the art that they choose of her the way the right picks oh, yeah. photos of her. Her like her mouth is always wide open. She always mm-hmm. looks like she's really yelling, like she's really angry. Yeah. I mean, you see the the woman with her mouth wide open art a lot. You very rarely yeah. see like once you're once someone's pointed it out, you notice it in all of your your news articles. You very rarely see like Bernie Sanders with his mouth wide open like he was yelling, even though Bernie Sanders yells all the time. Oh yeah. <laughs> right. But you you often see art accompanying stories about women being forceful with a a yelling photo that like distorts their face and makes them look angry and and it's just these like this subtle indoctrination of like making women doing powerful leader like things be a little weird, be a little unnatural. Like women who, you know, women who are not maternal, who are not warm, who are not exhibiting maternal warmth at all times are are a little unnatural. And that is like that's that's the most insidious thing you can be. There's something like there's something wrong with you. So yeah. we reinforce that message all over the place. And men and women too. It's like uh, the number of people who are like why didn't Elizabeth Warren get more women vote? Like why don't women do this more? It's like internalized misogyny is a real thing. We get the same messages that you all do. 
Like we grow up For in sure. the same world. Like we're told the yeah. same thing. Why why would we be more likely to reject it than than you would? Like you got to learn this stuff. You have to learn you have to work to reject it. It like mm-hmm. you never you never stop working to reject it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Well, and it's also like we talk a a lot about how representation in in media matters for um, like queer characters and queer narratives and stuff and for like women of color, but for, for politicians, you know, if, if you grow up not seeing this stuff normalized in the media you consume, you also have a hard time picturing it being a thing. And like when, when it is represented in media, it's always like this novelty thing, like Madam president, like here's the twist. What if we have this universe? where wait for it a woman <laughs> is president you know and there's only like one show that's allowed to do that right. uh, and so you never see it so you don't think it's possible whereas like when you know you have like two movies out within the same year of women doing archery then more women participate in archery and that's oh, a God, that's a really good point yes <laughs> Right. I mean, because I'm sure a lot of women like didn't occur to them to do that. And then all of a sudden, yeah. their, their seven-year-old daughters are like, I want a bow and arrow. And you're like, yeah, honey, why not? Like, get a bow and yeah. arrow. <laughs> you know, a safe one for children because she's seven. Yeah. But, but yeah, no, I mean, that's that's it. Like, it takes a very unusual person. It takes Hillary Clinton, frankly, to yeah. not see her herself represented anywhere and, like, write to NASA when she was a kid and be like, I want to be an astronaut. And then have NASA tell you, you can't be an astronaut, you're a girl. And then still spend the rest of her life being like, I'm going to do this even though I, I I didn't even... Usually in my life, someone had to point out an avenue to me. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't just look at something and go, yes, that's me, I want that, I can have that. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't realize I wanted to be a comedian until I saw... Um, Amy Schumer on Last Comic Standing years ago, and I was like, oh, wait a minute. Yep. We can do this? <laughs> yeah, mine was C.J. Craig on The West Wing. Like, yeah. It was yes. very... I was like, oh, that's Great a character. job. That's a job I yeah. can do. Yeah. I want that. <laughs> Weirdly, mine was Retta. Do you know who that is? From Parks and Recreation. She used to do stand-up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. No, it's so important. And it's so important that boys grow up seeing girls and women do these things like we we grew up like you had to identify with the guys that you because they had all the cool adventure books like there was no way to like just navigate stories that had female protagonists as a girl because there aren't enough like you get past Madeline Lee Engel and then what like (laughs) 
That's why it was so cool to see um, the U.S. women's national soccer team over the summer. Yes. Going on their parades and seeing old boys in their jerseys freaking out. That's it. Yes. Having new heroes. Yeah, I mean, we 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 need cross marketing really, really badly because like women can't fix the women's leadership problem on their own. Like everybody, it, everybody has to start being able to see women doing cool shit. The way that toys, they wouldn't make action figures of the girl in the group like regularly, like throughout the eighties. And then yeah, when when they did, it wouldn't it wouldn't move the same way, and it would be in the doll section, and it would it would be a different size, it would be wrong, like. By the time we got around to this is my one of the things that makes me the angriest when I think about it. Okay, so Alien comes out, right? Sigourney yep. Weaver, like Ripley is like the coolest thing ever. It's like even boys they have to acknowledge like this is this is a, this is about a, 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 as boy a film as you can get. So they make the Reebok makes the sneakers. They make the Ripley sneakers and they only sell them in men's. Like there's such a disconnect <laughs> that like mm-hmm. like Either it appeals oh to God. men or it appeals to women. <laughs> and if it's a woman, it almost always appeals to, to women. But if it's a woman cool enough, well, then it only appeals to men. It's so dumb. <laughs> That's insane. I'd never read that before. And it's That's impossible crazy. to, like, have cross-marketing that way. It's impossible for us to all get the same messages. If, yeah. like, like, once a girl becomes too cool, she becomes boy things. And then you can't bring in little girls to that anymore now it's now it's boy space and it almost happened with fury road but we we're, we've come a long way since yeah aliens <laughs> and i think it was a little more like also women are louder and have more platforms now so we were like no 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 no. we claim the fuck out of her immediately and yeah and that was that was that <laughs> So, you know, we want to see more women in positions of power at all levels in government. And it, it's so important at, at every from like the most local to uh, to being president. Uh, but when we say that, we're usually talking about liberal women. Oh, uh, yeah. Or Democrats. Yeah. Right. So but, you know, conservatives are always going to exist. <laughs> Is it? Is it helpful to have more women in conservative yes. pos- positions yes. too? Okay, because so, they always feel so disappointing, right? Right. Because okay. you're so like, this is actually a really interesting story. Like, the number of women Republicans who are elected is actually decreasing, which is crazy. Yeah. Their party is becoming more. It's becoming a very white male only party. It used to have. A, a few immigrant communities, a few minority American communities, a few, you know, white women <laughs> like, yeah. used to have them. And now it, it simply doesn't anymore. And that's being reflected. It's because of the policies. Like they've gotten way more overtly racist, way more overtly misogynist in the last few years. They used to have to hide that stuff. They used to say states' rights and whatever. And now they're just like, no. Now they, they say the quiet the part out right. loud. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> So that's really contracted the party. It's also, like, if you're going to be a misogynist party, you can't run women because your voters aren't going to vote for them. Yeah. There, one, you have fewer women wanting to run for your misogynist party. You have fewer voters willing to vote for them if they do. So the only ones getting through are very, very ideologically far right, hard right. They're Jody Ernst. They're like Michelle Bachman. They're, they're those people. And there aren't very many of them. So women used to be 
a moderating influence on the Republican Party. Like, when Emily's yeah. List started, and Emily's List elects pro-choice Democratic women, when it started in 1985, there was a really big internal discussion about whether they should just work on pro-choice women of both parties, because there were actually more pro-choice Republicans than there were Democrats in 1985, the Democrats really? were still, yeah, they were still right. super Southern, still super Catholic. Republicans were very like, like think of think of like the Mitt Romney Republican. They were like they were pro business, what? But like more or less, yeah. you, you do you. But they had they were less religious than the Democrats at that point. So you had a a point in the country where it was easier to get an abortion in Alabama than it was in New York City. This seems so anathema now. Like this seems like I'm right. like like this is crazy talk now. But that used to yeah. be how it was. Then Republicans sort of made a deal with the devil that they would use abortion, which was code for misogyny, to get back kind of some of the people that they had lost because they couldn't be as overtly, they couldn't be segregationist anymore. They couldn't be as racist anymore. So they they needed to get that base excited yeah. again, and they used women to do it. It's just been a downhill streak. There's a great episode of Full Frontal with Samantha B about that. Listeners, if you haven't seen that, I would recommend showing how they basically are just like using the anti-choice movement as, as a way to just win power. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, they're yeah, that's it. They don't, they don't give a shit. Power. Like, they don't care. Yeah. <laughs> this is not a principled thing. If it, I mean, and we always knew this. If it were a principled yes. thing, they would be really into sex ed and birth control. Right. They're not, exactly. so it's not a principled thing. <laughs> yeah. But it actually was, like, a political strategy that was hatched by a handful of operatives who realized that segregation school fights were lost and they needed something new. It's that simple. Yeah. So now they can't elect women, <laughs> and they've lost their moderating force on the party, and it just keeps getting worse. That was my very long-winded answer to your question about Republican yeah, women. Yeah, I mean, you have, like, Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, who are supposedly these moderators on, on the party right. because they're the only two who, like, wait the longest before agreeing to vote along party lines. Yeah, Susan Collins every expresses time. much concern. <laughs> She's very concerned. She's so concerned. Very She's going to lose. Yeah. I'm so... Like... The Kavanaugh thing was, that needs to be the end of her, and I think that it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a woman running against her in Maine, Sarah Gideon, who is just amazing. Yeah. And I think she's going to win. Like, I think I think a lot, of, a lot of the women who are taking on really stalwart Republicans in the, I mean, Amy McGrath in Kentucky is taking on Mitch McConnell, and she is polling way better than anybody is expecting her to right now. MJ Hager is is neck and neck with John Cornyn in Texas. There's very cool stuff happening. And and yeah. none of those women, I mean, both of those women are queer. They don't look like Nancy Pelosi politicians. Yeah. They're two Air Force pilots. Like, it's, it's just, it's a completely different world yes. of which women are allowed to run and which women people support running. Like, since 2016, we have started seeing women who look like my friends run and win like all over the country it's it, yeah. when i started working specifically to elect women there was there was really there was one model right there was like the nancy pelosi model like you you were successful in business you had several kids and then instead of retiring you ran for office 
and you dressed that way and your hair was that way and you wore the pearls and that was that. And that's just not the case anymore. You know, we have women running who are so many firsts, it it's like boring to recite them. Like, you know, Sharice Davids is one of the first Native American women elected. She's LGBT. Yep. She's a former MMA fighter. She's a veteran raised by a single mom. Like, it's it's it, those. And when those stories like Ayanna Presley in, in Massachusetts, who's a congresswoman from Massachusetts, who's amazing. She yes. says the people closest to the pain need to be the people closest to the power. And I love that. I think about oh that all the time. Like when you get people, you know, who grew up as women, which means grew up in an economy that was never meant to work for us. When those people get power, you get different decisions. And women women run because they want to fix a problem. Like if you, the Center for American Women in Politics has all kinds of really, really great data on why women run and why they don't and all of that. If you ask a man why he ran, you get so many answers, you can't find a plurality. It's like, uh, I thought it was a good stepping stone. It seemed like the right time. I thought I'd be good at the job. Lots of like good answers, not, you know, I'm drunk on power or whatever. If you ask <laughs> women, the vast, vast majority of them ran to fix a specific problem. That yeah. doesn't show up in the guy's pie. Like ran because yeah. of traffic issues, ran because the school sucks. That doesn't show up there. Yeah, a want versus a need. Exactly. It, it makes them different kinds of leaders. Like, it, yeah. it, makes, it makes them a little better. Like, they, they co-sponsor more legislation. They pass more legislation. The most progressive voting bloc in Congress is Emily's List candidates. So that just basically means pro-choice Democratic women. Like, yeah. they, they have been the backbone of the progressive movement forever. So the idea that the progressive movement now would say, let's do the safe thing and go with this white guy standard bearer, this is, it's just what always happens. It's what has always happened. So I would hear a lot of Bernie supporters who were, who are just super progressive, anti-capitalist. Well, yeah. that's probably why they're supporting him, that they're anti-capitalist, but uh, super progressive women and like feminists, but they're, they're like, Bernie will do more for women than Elizabeth Warren. Stop just voting for wanting to vote for Elizabeth Warren because she's a woman when his policies are are better for women in the long run than than having a woman as president. Yeah. Like, what would you say to that? Well, I mean, the, the question becomes of effectiveness, right? Like, their policies right. are very similar. I yeah. would certainly argue that hers are more, would have more real-world immediate impact on women. Like, she was the one that was talking about child care at the very beginning. Like, Bernie Sanders did not live and die on universal child care, right? He just right. doesn't. Yeah. That would help women more. <laughs> Than, right. than figuring out, you know, how to... Anyway, the question becomes, like, you're not electing a, a, a group of policy positions. You're electing a leader. So the question is yeah. about effectiveness. Like, Elizabeth Warren only does things that she thinks will work. <laughs> yeah. And Bernie Sanders has spent 30 years in the Senate doing absolutely nothing but championing the things that I believe in. Like, he says all the right stuff, and that's great. I, I love the way that he has shifted the Overton window on this thing. But yeah. just like his Medicare for All package was going to take four years, even if it worked the right way, I don't believe that this is the guy who is going to figure out how to make people who disagree with him do what he wants. And that's what yep. a leader, that's what a president needs to do. Like, he's yeah. not even willing or able to make people like me who have mild disagreements with him right. do what he wants, which is vote for him. So how the hell <laughs> is he going to make, you know, the Amy Klobuchar's of the world do what right. he wants? It doesn't have to require compromise of, of principle, but it might have to require compromise of style. 
It might have yep. to require somebody who's willing to listen to somebody, and I don't get the sense that he does. So yeah. all I care about is getting progressive shit done, and that's why I I was I was firmly in her camp. I also think the way that we define progressivism has been misogynist. Like, is breaking up the banks more progressive than abortion care? I don't think so. Yeah, and and he's been MIA yeah. or worse on the latter for a decade. You know, he only stopped saying that there were economic issues and then there were social issues like abortion last cycle. Like, yeah, that's not a champion. Clearly, he's been all over the place on. Gu- I mean, this doesn't matter anymore. But like, we decide right. what counts in the progressive movement and what doesn't. And what doesn't is is universal childcare, is equal pay, <laughs> is repro rights. Like, is is LGBT rights to a certain extent every now and then that's the one that they get to you? Like, we... Yeah, but, but we're the, told that we'll all fall into place. Exactly. Once the, once the other things are, are done and only, and only Bernie Sanders can do that. And I say that as someone who was, like, wavering back and forth. But my, my arguments that I would make is, like, well, I think that Elizabeth Warren can get a lot more people covered sooner yeah. than... I think he can, even though you keep saying that that she backtracked, but it was very hard to have conversations with it was impossible. his supporters. <laughs> it's still impossible. He's still in the race. Like, yeah. what are we even doing at when, this point? When are we voting? What's happening? What? <laughs> I think he's waiting for, for COVID to work in his favor. I think there you've got... I thought Elizabeth Warren should stay in. I'm like, hold on. I... I don't think all three of them are going to be alive come come September, October. And I, I don't mean to laugh about that, but that's... It is quite the relief uh, to throw the age of our party leaders into that we now are experiencing a pandemic that disproportionately affects the very old. We yeah. have and very men, old. specifically men. Like most of the people that I hear um, who have been most affected by this are, are all Seems to be men. men. Yeah. I know three people who, whose dads have passed in the past week, which oh, is geez. horrifying. Yeah. In New York? And in New York. Oh, yep. that's horrible. And, and all COVID related. And um, yeah, it seems to be hitting men harder. So then you have, you know, the, the two people left in the race. I'm like, oh gosh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody... Put them in a Lysol bag or something in for a the bubble, next yeah. three or four weeks. Like, and then Trump's up there, like not distancing and not wearing a mask and shaking right. everybody's hand. And like, like hmm. <laughs> and his approval ratings are at an all-time high, which is making me feel this is an important. There is an important caveat to this that I think everybody Please. should know. Okay, please Whenever- tell me and make me feel better about this. <laughs> Whenever there is a national crisis, people rally around their leader. This is a right. good impulse this is this is normal people saying i i it's not like i trust you to do this right but it's like boy i sure hope we got this it happens every time in every country so what you saw at the beginning of the coronavirus outbreak was massive spikes for all of the leaders of every country around the world macron and boris johnson are more underwater usually than trump is and both of them saw 20 to 30 to 40 point jumps for a real leader like Angela Merkel, you saw 60 points, 70 points, 80% of the country thinks she's great. Like, Trump got a four-point bump. Yeah, that's true. So, yes, <laughs> him being at 49% last week or whatever it was because time has no meaning was was deeply concerning. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, the fact that he couldn't get over 50 
with the tsunami of like what America does when or what every country does when we're supposed to like rally around a thing. I mean, after 9-11, W. Bush was at like 90, 96 percent. Yeah. I mean, he he, he really did assume it would work out that way. Right. Coronavirus. Right. I mean, (laughs) but like W even did the thing like I'm a New Yorker. I was here on 9-11. I marched in the streets against W. I'm not a W apologist, but he stood on the rubble and he said, we hear you. And that was yeah. like what we want. That was like the bare minimum of leadership right there. Right. And yeah. and and if you had asked me, a New Yorker who can't stand George W. Bush in that moment, do you approve of the way he's handling this? I would probably have said no because I'm a super partisan person, but it, I, <laughs> I would have I would have said yes, I appreciate this tableau very much. Thank you. And yeah. Trump can't even do that. Like right. he, he's like that bar is so far above him. There is no chance of him clearing it. So so yeah. the the bump was actually pretty <sighs> damning and we're yeah. already seeing it go away. I saw a poll yesterday, the Morning Consult poll that polled your approval rating of how different industries are handling this and it's like the CDC is up 67%. Trump was the same as the cruise line industry. Oh god. Oh my god. Like <laughs> like airlines were at 31 and he and the cruise line industry were at 2. That makes sense because they both give me diarrhea. <laughs> I, I don't think you need to worry about it. I mean, what you need to worry about is like, do we have an election in November? Like, I think, right, like, right. can we turn out? Can we all vote? Because like there are so many more of us than there are of Trump supporters. Like so many. Only 26% right. of the country even voted for him in the first place. And he is not trying to make any new friends. Yeah. So anxious, though. There's just also so many more opportunities for voter suppression now. And, oh, yeah. And just what's going to happen? Yeah, yeah, I mean, we're going to have a national vote by mail, probably. Like, that's what that's what people are trying to get to, which is good and right and should have been there all along. So, okay, Trump cannot move the election date. That is not something the president is allowed to do. So, you know, I, I, think, I think it goes forward. It's not like vote by mail is more hackable or screwable than anything else. It actually has a paper trail, which is kind of the gold standard for what you want in election security. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm not I'm not mad about that. Uh, what concerns the hell out of me is the GOTV process. You can't go door to door. You can't, you know, I don't know that people are going to sign up for online town halls with Joe Biden. I don't like there. there's no rally. Like, I don't know what happens yeah. if there's no big if there aren't big parties in every city and like the merch and people out wearing it. And I like we just we're just in a totally uncharted territory with that. Yeah, it's it, being being at home. I mean, I'm someone who votes in every mm-hmm. single local election that comes up without fail. I think I missed the most recent local election because my sense of time has been like so warped and I'm like, "Oh gosh, I missed it." This is like the first time I've missed something just cuz I have I just have no idea What's going on? It's just yeah. like, well, there's a there's another New York thing that'll probably. So we have the really stupid rule of our um our congressional primary is on a different date than our presidential primary, right? Which you may have mm-hmm. noticed. So now our yes. congressional primary is getting moved up to be in the same date as our presidential primary. So that they'll both be in June. So like that's good and right and something that always should have been. So we the, right. if if the people who are doing this work continue doing this work. There are opportunities that can be taken right now to fix some stuff that has always been very wrong. Like our ability to, you know, telecommute is something that we we need to be relying on way more. You know, in New York City, all of a sudden kids had to go home. They sent Wi-Fi enabled iPads home with every kid who needed them, which means one, they had those. Yeah. <laughs> and, 
And two, they were able to deploy them relatively quickly. Like, there are solutions here. Like, now all of a sudden we're saying, okay, maybe we need a safe place for the homeless population. But I'm like, yeah, yeah like like homes, exactly. Yeah. Or like, maybe we... We need we need to feed children somewhere other than schools. Oh, cool. Right. Yes. Like poverty reduction and increases in food stamps, things like that. Like like yeah. these little band-aids that we've had on society, like if like poor kids can at least eat in school. That's a band-aid, not a solution. And now yeah. those things are being they're being surfaced in a way, in right. a very visible way because nothing yeah. else is going on. So like I walk out my door and I walk past the bags of of school lunches that are left by you know, the community center across the street every day. And I think, you know, everybody's everybody's seeing the same stories. It's going to be, it's, if we do our job right, it will be impossible to just paper people over in the same way again after this. But it means, you know, a little less learning of new hobbies in the next few weeks. (laughs) I know at the beginning, I wanted to ask how you found your way to politics, because you had mentioned, you know, you're like, I'm by I'm Mexican like I never I smoked pot I would never run but what makes what makes like the impetus to like get involved in oh uh, it was uh, honestly it was 9-11 like I'm uh, like I'm a New Yorker um so I was in college when that happened I became very interested in politics we went to war uh with a, a totally different country which pissed me off a great deal but yeah. I was so partisan that I like didn't. I knew I didn't want to run for office. I thought maybe I wanted to be a journalist, but there really wasn't such thing as a partisan media at that point. Like Fox News was nascent, and there was no HuffPo or anything along those lines. Yeah, I, and then you know I watched The West Wing, and I was like, oh <laughs> yeah. hey, this is a yeah. job. I, maybe I can do this as a job. And I knew one person who worked in D.C., and so I called him when I was getting out of college and uh he set me up with an interview at a a direct mail firm writing copy and and i went from i went from there it it kind of feels accident like i'm around you know at that point i was around all these people who were like poli sci majors and you know i don't know how to read cross tabs and i don't i don't know what i'm doing (laughs) in here but i realized pretty quickly that imposter syndrome is real and um none of them were any smarter than i was for having been a sort of wayward english major (laughs) <laughs> but but yeah no I I did tell you like I'm I'm so I'm I'm bisexual and I'm I'm Mexican or I'm half Mexican, um, but I look like you know your your listeners can't see me but I'm I look like a Jess McIntosh. <laughs> like I'm, I'm very white I'm I'm blonde and and I have a male partner so I I have to sort of come out in both spaces all the sure. time. <laughs> yeah, which is like well it's a little bit as a superpower because if you don't know I'm queer and you think I'm white. People say things in front of me that they would not have otherwise. Oh my god, a lot. That seems like a curse too, though. Well, like, it is, I mean, the number of people who like slip up that like bisexuality isn't real in front of me before I'm like, eh, okay. <laughs> so, so I've tried. Sometimes I enjoy it. Like sometimes I enjoy um, people people mis misguessing what I am. Lately, I since 2016, frankly, it's just bothered me so much that I've I, I've just like tried to present as queer as possible. Like, <laughs> just yeah. get rid of the hair, get rid of the makeup. Like, I had that. Let's add a couple more tattoos. <laughs> Let me button the top button every time I go out of the house. Like, I don't want to explain yes. myself. I want you to know right away. And it's fabulous because then men don't really look at you anymore, which is nice. <laughs> <laughs> the closest experience I've had to that was I used to live in uh, in Atlanta, and as a white woman in the South, uh, people would just assume you were uh, also racist. Yeah. So they would say things to me, 
and that were horrifying and then be shocked when I'm like, uh, that's the most racist. They're like, no, no. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. I'm like, I do not know what you're talking ma'am, about, man. Ma'am, I do not. You are, yeah. <laughs> but that would happen to me like at, at work, like in the office a lot that people would assume that I was yeah. like of the same viewpoints of like, I don't know, it was horrifying. It's just, I mean, working in politics, it's like you're you're in a lot of rooms where decisions are being made about people who are not in the rooms. Yeah. Right. So being able to uh, uh, like represent a little bit of a different perspective and like I'm often the only person who grew up poor in those rooms. Like I don't, you know, I don't have a, a, a traditional Mexican culture. You know, my mom was not super attached to hers and I didn't grow up with it. So it's not like I can be like, yes, I represent the Latina point of view. Um, yeah. Although, although I have been asked to, which is hilarious, um, <laughs> and I certainly can't speak for all queer people, but like it is, it is nice to have people in the room who weren't groomed for this stuff, who didn't decide, you know, very, very yeah. young that this was all they wanted to do, and then act accordingly. Like we, we need, we need people with different points of view and different. We need people who have had credit card debt. We, we need people who have gone bankrupt. We need people who have, who have experienced what what this country is like if you don't have generational wealth. Yeah, I agree with that so much. I actually worked at a political strategy um, company. Um, I worked in video production, so I would produce um, all those attack ads and pro ads uh, for a Democratic firm. So, yeah, I would um, be in these rooms and we're, you know, making all these commercials targeting these groups of others. And I'm usually the only woman in the room, the only queer person, the only one who grew up poor. It is a lot of just regular white guys. And we really need more people working in that realm, even if it is just in the creative, like video production side of it. It's the Steve conundrum. Like when there are more Steves in a room than there are women, you have a problem. (laughs) Like I'm pretty sure that right now there are more Steves in the Republican caucus in Congress than there are women. I'm, yeah. I'm like yeah. doing the math in my head right now and I think I'm right. <laughs> and that, you know, it's not just because we like to make pretty pictures. It's because it, it's better policy. Like better policies come out if you have people who are going to be impacted by it in different ways. This isn't rocket science. It's very, very obvious. But people like to pretend that they don't get that and then they, you know, tell you you're playing identity politics and the rest of it. And, mm-hmm. you know, of course they have been playing identity politics for the last 200 years of this republic. They just so call it politics. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was the last thing I wanted to talk about. You know, it's important to elect women and have women run for office, but also in the behind the scenes roles. And, and we talk about this, too, in terms of like the entertainment industry, like as important as it is to have representation on screen, you need more uh, writers, directors, uh, sound that. people, grips, like everybody all the positions are important to have mm-hmm. more representation because if we had more women who are campaign managers in charge of comms, then you will also have more women running. Like- yes, and you will have campaigns that take women into account. Like, yeah, if Bernie Sanders hadn't been run by a couple of older white men just like him last time around, he probably wouldn't have turned off as many women as he did by making such tone-deaf statements about issues like abortion like right. yeah there the, he it's just having enough people in the room to make good decisions like you wouldn't you know you you, it, you hopefully at this point if you find yourself in a room full of white people and you're going to put out a piece of content you're going to be like wait a second we're all white like this is probably not the right way to go yeah i i, I don't think that that older white men think like that <laughs> 
But um, they need to start because yeah. we, we outnumber them by so much at this point. Like, we have the consumer yeah. power. We have the voting power. We have the buying power. Like, it, it, if if we are able to put that towards a, a communal goal, there's, you know, then, then, then we just have to be, we just have to be reckoned with now. Jess, thank you so much. This has been such a joy uh, talking to you. I love talking about this stuff and you're so... And I feel energized. Oh, good. Me too. (laughs) Let's go win You're so impressive. You're such an impressive human. To our listeners, they can find you on SiriusXM Progress, on Signal Boost. Where else, where can they follow you on social media? I'm on Twitter at Jess underscore MC. And Signal Boost is free now. Sirius is free (gasps) until May 15th, at least. Oh my gosh. Yes. I didn't know that. I'm getting on that. Sign right up. And it's me and Zerlina Maxwell every morning uh, yelling about feminism and politics. Politics and culture and amazing. It's, uh, it's, it's a fun. It's a fun way to wake up. I think we're the only explicitly feminist morning drive time show, which I love. Yes, <laughs> man, that was so great to hear from Jess. And I hope this is a good reminder to everybody to register to vote if you haven't voted already. There are a lot of down ballot candidates to be excited about. Vote and go to the polls and get those progressive women in positions of power. Please. Please. Please, before they take any more of our rights away. Yes, please. That would be nice. Okay, let's get to our listener question. It's a doozy, guys. Okay, this was a long-ass listener question, so we're just going to give a bit of an overview. It is from a 31-year-old woman who has never really been comfortable with or excited by sex. She has always assumed that she was straight, but never fell in love with any of the guys she dated and realized men in general make her very uncomfortable. Hey, we get it. (laughs) She now finds herself having crushes on androgynous or mask women on TV, though. Including Shane. Sorry, I edited that out, but she did mention that. Oh, why did you edit that out? She's really including Shane. Okay, I edited this out because listeners, this email, when I copy and pasted it into a Google Doc, was one and a half pages, single-spaced, 11-point font. So we really had to condense it. I know a lot about this listener. Keep going, Melody. Okay, um, so we know she's never had sex with a woman, but we know she's starting to be attractive to Shane types. Um, <laughs> she she might be asexual, but she thinks that she might just have a low sex drive. She's also a germaphobe and has an irrational fear of STDs. She lives a pretty lonely life as a flight attendant who is never around the same place for more than a few days. And so that's pretty much the abbreviated background. And now for her question. Do you have any advice on how to find or meet other asexuals that are not aromantic looking for a life companion? Or am I doomed to be lonely forever? You're doomed. (laughs) That's it. No, no, just kidding. Uh, There is a lid for every pot, right? I'm sure. You know, we had an episode about asexuality with Janine Groffalo where she talks a lot about how she thinks that people aren't that forthcoming about their sex drives, that a lot of people who have lower sex drives feel like there's something wrong about it. And Janine thinks it was more common than people let on because nobody wants to talk about having a low sex drive. So I don't think that you're alone on this. Like, are you asexual? Possibly, but it sounds like... 
you're 31 and you're just realizing that you might be queer. A lot of the details about your past relationships and now that you're having crushes and, you know, you found diking out and started listening to all the episodes, it makes me think that there there is something to that. And until you've actually gone on dates with women or meet different women, like you, you won't know whether you're asexual or you have a low sex drive or maybe you don't have a low sex drive. And you just before I realized I was gay. I found it very easy to have no desire to have sex with men. Uh, <laughs> you know what? I just I just searched asexual on Lex app and I'm seeing a lot of posts. What are you doing with Lex app on your phone, Melody? <laughs> I had to. I told my girlfriend, my <laughs> monogamous girlfriend, that I was just very curious and it was fully a FOMO thing um, <laughs> because I used to scroll the personals. Uh, Instagram before it turned into the Lex app. Is that what happened? Oh, yeah, yeah. And now yeah. that's been taken from me. So, yes, I I did download the Lex app, but this is the first time I've opened it <laughs> to search asexual. <laughs> so, so far, it's pretty innocent. <laughs> um, but there's communities out there. I'm sure there's even, I mean, once we can meet up, meet up groups and communities online or off for asexual but not aromantic people yeah and I think as long as you're communicating in terms of like what your what your needs are up front I mean obviously if you're with somebody who's like very sexual and loves sex and has a big sex drive then then that might not work out but that's okay that's not how everybody is Every, everybody's different and there's so many people out there it also sounds by a lot of <laughs> the details in your email that you're you are paralyzed by fear with a bunch of things yes the germs the stds there was a lot of like well what if this what if that like get out there and live your life and, and get out of your head yeah you are so in your head and you remind me of my sister you're not that much older than my sister and she i for the longest time thought my sister's asexual and she's still doesn't really ever get intimate with anyone and actually recently thought, well, maybe I'm queer and that's why. But she has an excuse for everything. And I'm not saying that the germaphobe stuff um, is an excuse. I mean, now more than ever, that is the right. most valid concern and fear in all of us. But we got this email months fear. ago. We have a backlog we're working <laughs> yeah. through. So. Oh, right, right. We. So this person was a OG germaphobe, OG. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's just really reading like my sister and I try to talk to my sister about it. And we did finally have a real conversation about it. And I got her to admit that she is just really coming from a place of fear and neuroses. And she recognizes that she needs to just get out of her head and put herself out there. You need to get out of your comfort zone because you can yeah. just build up these walls that end up towering with no door out you know yeah and I mean intimacy is scary that's not unfounded and like I guess STDs are scary but there are things you can control like with STDs you know practice safe sex and then you should be fine I think you just have to put yourself out there and meet different people and try to go on dates and not you know if you're around in in different cities maybe I don't know like 
I know flight attendants. They they have relationships. You can have somebody that you see when you're in that city casually. Not everything has to be. You're talking about looking for a life companion. Like maybe don't start there. Right. Maybe start small. That sounds actually ideal that you're not in the same place too long to start experimenting or like casually dating people just to like get the rhythm and flow of it. Cause I have maybe mentioned this, like grew up super duper overweight and scared um, of dating kind of like really avoided it. It was late bloomer, but I eventually needed to, you know, I recognized I needed to break away those habits. I, started very casually and I really liked that this coincided with the rise of dating apps. So I could have these casual dates and not worry about them being in my everyday life. If I felt like I bombed it, great. I'm never going to see them again. And with all the cities and different radiuses, you could apply being in different cities. It sounds ideal to me. Yeah. Well, best of luck to this listener. And if you have questions, uh, if you've already sent them and we haven't answered them and you need a quick answer, we are on Wizio, wizio.com slash diking out. That's W-I-S-I-O, where you can help support the pod by giving us money. And then we will record a video with very specific advice tailored toward you and your question. And this is especially a great service if you have like longer, more specific questions with a lot of details that aren't really great to read on the podcast. (laughs) We would appreciate you going to Wizio instead, but we will keep reading your questions on the podcast. And then also on Patreon right now, we are collecting questions for a AMA Ask Me Anything style uh, Patreon episode that we're going to make me a melody. So if you become a patron on Patreon at patreon.com slash diking out, you can uh, submit questions for that. And we'll be recording that in the coming weeks And we also have out the episode with Allie Clayton, where she talks about all the the wild animals she grew up with and the the heartbreaking tale of her and her Clayton monkey. Uh, We get all the all the deets, the wild deets on that. It is a doozy. And it's a long it could stand alone as an episode like Allie really breaks down her exotic pet (laughs) history for us. It's a good, like, I think 45, 50 minute uh, off topic. So please support us there if you can. We know that times are hard right now. And we appreciate you guys diking out with us from your homes. And stay in them, you know? Stay in that home. And thank you to the Susans who Venmoed me. I was kind of <laughs> being silly and desperate. And I was, I cried um, when I got oh. some Venmos coming. Uh, that was very sweet of you. And I love you forever for that. There's nothing silly about being. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, lo- losing your job in a pandemic. Okay? <laughs> I cannot, I cannot ask for help. And that's true. I know it's very hard for us to <laughs> ask. <laughs> for help when we need it but that yeah you guys have been great and we appreciate the support it really helps us keep going at this time and giving you this really gay content each week and we look forward to doing it again next week bye 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 
Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.